This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth. James, in terms of what's on the news agenda today, briefly, we can, all, we can return to the police and parties. Um, but actually, Russia is what is leading in, in many respects. Um, this trust has been in Moscow. How did that go? So, predictably, I think, is the way of putting it, which is Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, enjoys being kind of brutally rude to his Western guests. And Liz Truss was no exception. Now, I think that in some ways, his rudeness is a sign that Truss held a line in these meetings. You know, he, he, she didn't say anything that he could exploit and turn to his purposes in the press conference saying that the, the, the UK had agreed to this or that. And I think that the Russians clearly view the UK as the most pro-Ukrainian of the three major powers in Europe. And I think particularly get the rough side of the tongue, especially when you consider that Boris Johnson was at NATO HQ today in Brussels this morning and then in Poland this afternoon where the UK is sending more troops, albeit only 350 more troops, as a kind of sign of reassurance to Poland. And so I think I think we can overinterpret some of the Russian rudeness. But I, but I think that now the question is, what is Vladimir Putin intending to do? I think that the scale and size of the Russian military build-up cannot be maintained indefinitely. So I think in the next two to three weeks, we will find out what it is. You know, a lot of people think that the 20th of February, which is the end of the Winter Olympics, is a kind of key date. And that, that week that follows that, that is probably when the ground to be most conducive in, in terms of you know, the, the weather factors, the kind of frozen solid and all that for a Russian invasion. And they might also see opportunities there in some of Russia's actions. For example, one of Vladimir Putin's luxury yachts was being refitted in Hamburg. That has now been brought back kind of ra- very rapidly to Russia. There's no Russian delegation going to the Munich Security Conference for the first time this century, which ends on the 20th of February. But it, but it is very hard to know whether this is not bluff or, or counterbluff. Talking to people in government who I think have a fairly good handle on Russia's intentions, my sense is that Putin will not launch, uh, famous last words, will not launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, In that that would so clearly demand a full-on Western response. He would, I think he will likely try and do something down the scale from that in an attempt to further exploit the divisions in the Western alliance that have been obvious in, in, the, in the past month or so. And James, just briefly on Liz Truss's decision to go to Moscow. Um, on Sunday, I was on Westminster Air and Robert Jenner was also a guest. And he made the point when we were talking about the planned trip that he questioned the wisdom of going because he said, you know, actually, given, I think we've seen much of this um, today, given Russian don't play ball, do, do you really want to be going there to then to be, have potentially bad treatment? Do you think there's a sense of that today? Look, I, I think it was inevitable what happened to Liz Truss. I mean, that is kind of the argument against going. You know, ben Wallace is going tomorrow to Moscow to basically say, to kind of highlight the, the military effects of an invasion of Ukraine. I think there is an argument that you have, you know, some people say you have to do diplomacy, even if they're going to behave like this, you have to kind of go on the extra mile. I think given that the Russians do this for essentially the kind of TV clip or the social media clip of them 
in inverted commas, humiliating. And I, don't, I mean, I don't personally think it is because it's so predictable. Humiliating some uh, some Western um, Western diplomat or politician. I really do question what the benefit of of going there is. And then also people who understand the Russian system far better than I do suggest that Lavrov is not particularly key to the decisions that have been taken over Ukraine. So there is another question about, about how, how useful that is. Now, Boris Johnson was talking about Ukraine today in an interview, but another story that's going around, it relates to Partygate still kicking around. Obviously, there was a photo yesterday, but I think the more significant development in that story is the fact that the Met Police have said that they will be interviewing 50 members of Downing Street staff to give their side of things. And after that, things could actually move pretty quickly um, in terms of penalty notices, penalty fines and, and so forth. James, do you think that we could see that on, you know, when MPs return to Parliament, this um, a conclusion to this and potentially the second half of the Sue Gray report? So the Met clearly want to move this along. Um, their statement they released last night stressed that they're prioritising this investigation, that people who get these questionnaires will only get seven days to respond to them. And, you know, and then decisions will be made. And Cresta Dick said today, you know, that the, the questionnaire doesn't necessarily mean that someone will get a penalty notice, but it's that they will need to provide an explanation for their behaviour. I still think that we probably are some way off getting the kind of full-blown grey report. I think there is an irony here, which is, and again, Boris Johnson dodged this question today, is that he keeps being asked if he will resign if he gets a fixed penalty notice. He keeps not answering the question. And uh, Boris Johnson's opponents are saying, well, look, look, he won't answer the question, he won't answer the question. I think, oddly, there is a danger that Boris Johnson's opponents might be, might be setting the bar at the wrong level for him. They might be said this is creating a situation where if Boris Johnson isn't personally fined, he can set claim that that is an exoneration, whatever the Sue Gray report says about how badly Downing Street was run and the, the issues with the culture there. So I think that this obsession with whether Boris Johnson gets a fixed penalty notice, Boris Johnson actually might come to be glad of that because it is, it is, I think that if he gets a fixed penalty notice, his position is untenable. But do you think enough MPs will conclude that? Yeah. I, I, I have no doubt that if he were to get a... He has said he would tell the House of Commons if he did get one. If he did get one, I, I, I cannot believe the 54 letters would not go in and I cannot believe that that would not begin a process that would, that would see him leave Downing Street at some point in the relatively near future. But I also think that if you create this as the bar, if he does not get a fixed penalty notice, he will then claim exoneration. And then, James, I suppose what the government want to talk about is this end to all COVID restrictions. There's been some kickback today if you're looking at questions from Labour as to what the evidence behind it is, also some of the unions. I suppose this is nothing that the government really didn't expect to happen. And one of the points to make in return is that when it comes to, you know, SAGE advice, SAGE didn't exactly get the Omicron diagnosis right over Christmas. So is there a sense, which I'm picking up to a degree, that of being the government isn't particularly bothered if you have a situation where, you know, there's kickback on this policy. Look, the decision to bring forward the ending of restrictions by a month is, as we discussed in yesterday's podcast, it's clearly a political decision, right? But I also think it is quite hard for sage scientists to complain about it because what we saw with Omicron was the first time that, that the government hasn't done anything really in response to their advice. And as the data up on the spectator shows... What happened was nowhere near what these scenarios that Sage had modelled had suggested would happen. So I, so I think it's, it's harder for them to say, well, hold on, you shouldn't do this. I also think, though, that, that you know, his attempt to live with COVID is undoubtedly more popular with Tory MPs 
than it currently is with the public yet. And there is some political risk involved in this decision. But I think overall, I think, you know, Boris Johnson wants to be the leader kind of pioneering how to live with COVID, making a big emphasis on, you know, how the UK is kind of the the first country to kind of move to this situation. But I also think it, it is also worth remembering that even once the legal requirement to isolate goes, the government's guidance will continue to be that people who have COVID should stay at home. And if you look at the news today that, you know, Prince Charles has got COVID for a second time, I still think it will be in a situation where it is difficult, where public figures who get COVID will be expected to stay at home and not go to work. I think the more interesting question is what happens to the testing regime? Does the UK essentially end mass testing or not? At the moment, you know, anyone who wants a free box of lateral flow tests can pick them up. But, it's a um, lot of money to the government, isn't it? Yeah. Whether the government moves away from that and that, you know, the COVID test kit is something that you can buy in the pharmacy if you want to, but aren't made freely available. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.